Welcome to Connected, a podcast with Jess. That's me. Connections are the secret to a whole life. Recognizing the connections between us and within us, mind, body, and soul, reveals the fullest potential of our humanity. Join me as I discover what connects us to each other and to ourselves. Your mind, body, and soul were not meant to live disconnected from each other. Putting all the beautiful parts of you into one breathtakingly whole experience is what you deserve. As a life coach, I work to support your story. Together, we can set free the story of you. I bring guests onto my show so that you can hear powerful stories of other women all across the world. I want you to see how profoundly important living and telling stories is. I understand what it feels like to live under expectations and programming that are not aligned with who you are. I learned to write my own story in my year of Jess, and I want to guide you as you write the story of you. Your beauty, power, and value are already in there, in you. It's time to rise into it and uncage the limitless experience that is you. You've been held back for far too long. It's time, time to take your pen back and write the story of you. If this makes your heart leap even just a little bit, let's talk. You can find out more about working with me on my website at jessicatravis.com. I hope to hear from you soon. everybody. I'm really excited about my guest today. Um, I have with me Lisa Borden, who is a uh, new friend in my life. Um, as of, oh gosh, it's been almost, we're getting on close to a year now since I um, met Lisa. And um, I'm, I'm going to let Lisa introduce herself as I always do. And so she can share more about who she is. But uh, I met Lisa in her home in Tanzania. And we'll go in a little bit more on how we actually met um, and the little story behind that and why um, that became so such a pivotal moment for me and how we got connected. So first of all, Lisa, welcome to the Connected Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Lisa is uh, somebody that I met through Carly Borden, who was one of my earlier guests um, in the season, but she's also uh, the one who led my trip to Africa. And so um, you can tell by the last names, there's a relationship there. Um, So Lisa, can you just share with me who you are and... um, maybe a little bit, your life is very interesting in terms of the places you've lived and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, 
the fact that I got to visit your home in Tanzania was just such a, such a beautiful treat and such a rest for the soul. But, and I know that that's an important space for you is having people come and visit and in your home. So share with us who you are, what you want us to know about you. Okay. Thanks, Jessica. Um, I feel like probably people expect me or other people to introduce themselves based on their, uh, their career or their Mm. job titles. And, um, I can maybe explain some of that, but I think who I am is I'm not exactly sure how you would express it, except I feel like I create a space Mm. and, and the, my greatest joy is, um, creating some kind of a hospital hospitable space that people come into. And I don't, I don't even necessarily mean that as only being in my home, like hostess Mm. with the mostest. That's not what I'm talking (laughs) about. (laughs) Um, I, there's something about holding space for other people and watching them um, blossom a little bit in that space. Mm. That is the most tremendous life-giving thing for me. Mm. So if I could figure out a name for that, I would say that that is my calling or my life work. But mm. what, I, what I've done over the last, so I'm 58. And so that gives you um, a sense of the number of years that I've been um, on this planet. Creating and, spaces. <laughs> creating spaces. And I am married with four adult children and two amazing daughters in love and um, soon to be a third grandchild. Mm-hmm. But um, I've lived most of my life outside of the United States. Um, I was born here in the States. I some, Somehow it tickles me to no end that I was born in Dallas, Texas, because <laughs> I have no real uh, understanding of Texas culture or, you know, we left there when I wasn't even two yet. And so somehow having lived most of my life outside of the States, Texas just um, seems funny to me somehow mm. that that's, mm. and not that I don't think that Texans are funny. That's not what I mean. It's just like, I don't even, nothing about that feels like home. Yeah, like, right. I was born in Texas. Um, but, uh, my parents worked overseas. And so I grew up four years in Sweden from, uh, the time that I was four till I was eight and four years in England and then came back to the States. And then I met my husband, Byron, uh, in college and he'd been raised in Kenya because his parents were teaching and working in Kenya when he was growing up mm. um, through a mission organization. And, and so for the, the 38 years that we've been married, um, we have spent most of that time overseas together. And we, have, we started um, basically the bulk of that time, I would say, has been in East Africa doing community development and trying to be involved in life-giving, empowering ways to help people um, provide for themselves. Sometimes it's been very directly through church settings uh, where we've we've worked directly through um, faith communities. And then in the last 12, 13 years, it's been through a nonprofit that's not uh, directly through a church, but through um, just uh, trying to help people start businesses. So mm. we... We've been in, we were in Kenya for 15 years. Then we were had a, a hiatus or <laughs> a strange turn. Or no, I don't think of it at all as a strange term. But people go, how did you end up in Portugal after Kenya? 
Mm. We went to Portugal for a number of years, about almost seven years. Um, and there we were working in a, in a church setting, an international church, and then came back to East Africa in 2007 and, and have been working with um, economic development since then. So I think that adds up to six six countries of residence if I'm Wow. And right now you're yeah. back in the States since right COVID. Right now, yes. So right at the end of March, we had to make a decision as Tanzania and Kenya and all of, all of Africa was uh, closing their borders. And we, we were supposed to come to the States anyway for our youngest, um, her graduation from college. And so we had to decide to quick come a few weeks early and, and make the decision, are we going to be stuck in Tanzania? and not know when we can get to the States or should we be stuck in the States and not know when we can get to Tanzania. And we opted for the latter. And, and so we've been with my, my parents are in their eighties and we've been uh, helping them through this kind of strange season Yeah, and uh, being able to connect with our kids and, and grandkids a bit. And now we're um, trying to figure out getting back. So, mm. Yeah. Well, and I, what, what little experience I have had with, um, parts of your family. Uh, they love to travel and visit you <laughs> over there. So I'm sure that they're, <laughs> they're yeah. antsy too for you guys to be back and be able to, yeah. to make those trips again too. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody gets homesick for, well, my kids, because they grew up chunks of time in uh, Portugal as well. Um, I've heard them say, well, some days I miss Europe and some days I miss Africa and sometimes I'm okay being here. So, mm. but yeah, if, if there's a home base for them in East Africa someplace, then that uh, gives them a, a, a place yeah. to come back and reconnect with, with all of that yeah. goodness. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you have a, do you have a favorite uh, place that you have lived that just felt, I know you were saying uh, you're from Texas, born there, but it doesn't feel like home. Is there, yeah. is there a place that feels the most like home to you in that trans transition yeah, between so, countries? I have a lot of, I have a lot of affinity for each of the places. It, sometimes I follow um, World Cup soccer when, mm. when, you know, every four years when the World Cup is played and I, I find myself, I could cheer for Sweden or for England or for one of the African teams mm. or I could, oh, Portugal, or, oh, you know, as I get confused. Yeah. But, um, definitely there is one spot that our family lived in for 10 years in Kenya mm. and it's, uh, it's called the Loita Hills. And it's an area that um, at the time, so it was the 90s, we were up there from 89 to 99. And um, our two youngest were born during those years. It was 100 miles from, you know, it was before before internet and, and mm. easy phone contact. So we were 100 miles from a paved road and 100 miles from shops or post offices or anything like that. And it was such an honor, such a privilege, and such an incredible season of our lives to live among a Maasai community and mm. try to, um, you know, we were supporting the school there and doing uh, small community development projects, stuff like um, teaching people how to terrace their gardens so that the land wouldn't get stripped and um, introducing uh different vegetables and things that weren't traditionally grown up in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, there's just something really deep in all of our hearts about Loita. Like all of us just kind of 
Ah, say it with a sigh, like later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I and I think so much of that was because of the relationships that we developed in the community, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's just people that we love there so dearly, and and then it was so untouched um, as far as wildlife and the natural setting. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was there was elephants in the forest and buffalo in our yard at night sometimes Mm. and leopards and lions and monkeys and it it was so overwhelmingly beautiful Mm. um such a privilege to be there and experience that and to get Mm. to be a part of a community and 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 just hopefully be a bridge to um helping people thrive was what we were hoping to do Mm. while we were there so yeah i had I had all kinds of different expectations when um, I was headed to Africa. Everything from, you know, my mom watching out of Africa when I was younger mm-hmm. and to um, uh, the, uh, my dad used to read us the books, like the man eaters of Sabo and oh yeah. Yeah. This, those were uh-huh. our camping books. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> camping stories. Um and so I had all of these uh, particularly visuals in my head, I think even without real pictures of what mm-hmm. Africa was. It may have been the book reading that my dad did. But um, when I, there was, there's this feeling that there is something almost magical about Africa. Mm-hmm. And I remember stepping off the plane and it was, you know, just engaging with with the earth itself mm-hmm. in Africa, there was something extremely spiritual about that, yeah. um, that I don't think I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And each place that we went was a very different experience, very different terrains, yes. um, very different economics. Yep. Um, and, um, and yet, we went through those quite quickly. So our, mm-hmm. un- our understanding or experience of each of those things is very small relative to, you know, or, or I guess shallow in the depth of what it is. But um, it was, um, it was, yeah, it's just something that sits in your soul. I couldn't even really put words to it. Well, until you helped me put some words to it. Yeah. Um, we, um, you and I met, um, I think we first met through Instagram and I didn't know it because mm-hmm. I was posting pictures of our trip as we were going. Oh, wait, right. no, we met, we met you guys, um, in a stopover, um, right between, in the parking lot. Yes. At, uh, yeah. I don't remember. I think it was just out of Arusha, but mm-hmm. I think it was at the Arusha coffee lodge. Yeah. Yep. But, um, I was, as I could, I was posting pictures along the way um, on Instagram. And all of a sudden, I started getting these new friends from the Borden family. (laughs) (laughs) We were all like wanting to watch the trip as it was unfolding. So we were looking on your Instagram. Yeah. So it was was kind of fun. And I remember there was one post uh, that you commented on after our first safari. And you were overwhelmed by how many cats we had seen. Um, and we were just seeing everything. We were so privileged to see so much while we were there. Um, but at the end of our trip, um, I'm not even sure if it was the last 24 hours that we had, but we, um, we stayed our last night, spent our last evening at your home. Mm -hmm. And, um, you guys are 
living on a plant, a coffee plantation, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we call it a coffee farm. Um, somehow the, the word plantation is not, yes. it's not yes. used in East Africa. They call it coffee farm. So I think I, we're, I think we're, <laughs> well, and I think we're moving away from those terms here in America now. Yeah. Too, let's so, let's yeah. Hope, yeah. So, yeah. So we, we are so fortunate because we rent a house on a coffee farm. Um, and as much as we, you know, we know the manager and we know people who work there and everything, but we're not involved. That's not, it's not mm. our business. We don't own it. We, we just rent a house there. And, and so we get to enjoy this beautiful setting. Mm. It lived, is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's just jaw dropping. We yeah. lived right in the, you know, kind of in the dense part of Arusha for six years. And then previously we had lived in Kenya and we'd lived, like I was saying, this really remote place in the Loita mm. Hills. So this was somewhere in between. It was like, we're mm -hmm. out of town about 40 minutes. We're up in the hills. And it's just so, it's so magical. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful mm -hmm. up there. Um, yeah, so that's where we are. And uh, and Carly, our daughter-in-law, had been there a few times and, and thought, I have to bring people here. So Yeah. Oh, yes. And you guys, uh, I have pictures. I use it on my website <laughs> often, uh, but I have pictures of our experience there. And, but one of them is this door in your home. Oh my word. It, it is, door. it is the most beautiful door. And, yeah. um, but it's, it's that I remember Carly posting, um, in, uh, kind of promoting the trip that she was going to be running for this retreat. And I saw some of these different spaces. Eventually we saw all the spaces she posted about, but one of them was this, uh, she posted right before we got there, this door opening to this view out there. And um, I kept waiting at every place that we went. I got to find this door. <laughs> and when we got to your home, I'm like, there's the door. You know, it was just this, this yeah. feeling of, um, I don't know, it's, it's a cross between like a hobbit door. It's like that shape yeah. and that look. And then, but just something far, you know, more magical, but yeah. Um, and, and it's uh, the farmhouse. The farm was originally first established, I, I believe in like 1930, something like that. And I don't actually know when that farmhouse was built and it was renovated a number of years ago a bit, but that door is obviously some centerpiece that has been part of that original place. Mm. And just, thick, heavy, beautiful arching mm -hmm. door that, like you said, it just, from the inside, when you open it, you're just looking out on this drop away oh. of green and it's yeah. so lovely. Yes. Oh, I often go back to that door and I just think about all the things that I opened up for myself mm -hmm. while I was there. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of, you know, it has this real spiritual connotation for me. Um, we did a couple of things when we arrived at your home. One, we sat around, we had wine and shared yeah. stories of our trip, which was just beautiful and um, updated you guys on all the things that we had done and seen. And um, and I had some beautiful time with you and your husband just sharing uh, some of our uh, life stories with each other. Um, I can't remember what it was called that he was trying to, he was working on making that so, morning. Oh, that morning? Was he was he working on the cascara? Yes, yeah, yes. So that's a that's a tea that's made from the discarded parts of the coffee cherry. So um, the coffee bean is what we use for coffee, obviously, 
but the pulp around it is called the cherry or the flesh, and that's discarded. And the, actually making that into a tea is a really healthy, uh, full of wonderful antioxidants, um, kind of all a superfood, I think people maybe call it. I'm not sure I shouldn't say that because I don't know for sure. But yeah, he was, he'd been yeah. um, exploring like, because here we are on this farm that has something like 800 acres under coffee and there's a lot of coffee cherries that are discarded and not used. And he's like, what, you know, what could we do to help this also be put to good use? Um, So yeah, that's what he, I think he was boiling it up and having everybody taste it. We were all tasting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was really good. I was really surprised. Um, But one of the things that you did with us that night, um, the the night that we stayed there, um, it was, you took us through um, some time in your living room, um, reflecting a bit on the trip, but uh, you took us through a writing prompt. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a very long time since somebody has asked me to do that. Um, It took me back to high school and college, (laughs) you know, somebody saying, okay, write, and you know, here's your topic, write on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, was I primed for so much after all those days in Africa and, um, and I, uh, I, I, now I don't have it in front of me. I can't actually remember the prompt. Um, oh, I'll have to, I'll have to find it. And was it, was it, um, I'll carry with me. Yes. I'll carry with me. Yeah. Um, such a great way to finish our trip. What do we, we brought a lot of things with us. We did a lot of unpacking of ourselves and our relationship with our body and our relationship with running and so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that prompt was asking us to say, what are we, you know, what will I carry with me? And, mm-hmm. oh, it just unleashed something in me about understanding who I was or who women were after spending all of these days with these amazing, strong, beautiful women. And, um, and I just, uh, found a part of me reawakened, Hmm. um, through this, uh, journal prompt. And it was something that for me, writing was something that I connected with through high school and college. I was going into journalism. Um, I was going to keep writing, although I don't know why journalism because <laughs> it wasn't a very creative space but um but I wanted yeah I I wanted to keep writing and and then my life shifted and I started spending my time raising my kids and doing just doing yeah. life and kind of set this thing off to the side that had become was such a big part of me and so sitting there in your living room and having that awakened again in me mm. was was huge um it probably been, I don't want to say I hadn't written at all, but it's probably been really 25 years or so since I just allowed myself an experience like that. Um, and so it, it has made me think as I've worked on uh, redeveloping my own path in life and walking into life coaching and working on this podcast um, is wanting to talk with you a bit about the spaces that you create um, well, you created one for us, but I know you do it in other, um, for other people as well. Mm -hmm. That is around writing. Um, -hmm. and why you do this, why writing, um, as this, as that, uh, space that you're creating. Um, and I would just love to explore that with you. Okay. Okay. So, um, like you, I also, um, gave a big chunk of my life to raising 
my kids. So that was, and that was definitely by my choice. Like, Oh, me too. I, yeah, I was, and I don't know if you ever experienced this, but because, because women, um, were beginning to be more vocal in, during my college mm. existence and about that it was good to pursue their career. And, and, and I completely believed that and supported that, but I almost felt that I had to justify that yeah. I actually wanted to be a stay at home mom. Like yes. that was completely my choice. Right. And then, and then given the circumstances that when we were living in those years in Loita, when we were so far from um, the more developed parts of Kenya uh, because Kenya and Tanzania has this broad, you experience some of that, this broad spectrum of developed to very, very mm. remote places with, with um, much more traditional settings and um, availability of, of things like education and stuff. So I, I had also poured a lot of my energy in those years into schooling our kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I homeschooled our kids for just about 20 years, almost, mm-hmm. almost consecutively. And not because I was afraid of the world, but because that was the option. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was slightly off topic. But so then <laughs> coming to <laughs> coming to writing, writing had always been something that uh, for me, like I was the kid who um, loved to read poetry. You know, I, mm. I had um, I had a little book of poems that I would read by myself. I would memorize these these mm. childhood and and oh my gosh, the Winnie the Pooh poems, mm. the A. A. Milne. You know, I mean, they can still make me cry. Um, and so, words have always been super significant to me. Mm. And in all the moves of my life, because we moved until I was twelve, we moved every two years, mm. and then I was only uh, twenty-two when I moved again with my husband and and. And we started living abroad again. So in all of those moves, writing, once I was old enough to kind of figure out that, oh, I can express myself through this, and my, um, was, was really significant to me. But it wasn't something that was um, outwardly necessarily affirmed. It, mm. was, it was definitely appreciated and recognized by teachers who, who mm. recognized it in me and later yep. my professors. But, you know, just for different reasons of the era that I was in and Mm. yeah, whatever my, you know, my parents, it wasn't like they were really clicking into, Oh, Lisa's a writer and we should be encouraging Mm. that. And and in fact, I can remember a really specific moment when I was probably in seventh grade and I don't remember being emotional or being up and down or, or being, I must've done something that seemed like I was just being this, Oh, overly dramatic about something. And, and, and these words that my dad said, he said, you are just too artistic. And it Mm. was definitely a shutdown. It was a Mm. put down. It was a, that was not a good thing. And it, 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 it silenced some part of me that felt like, Oh, Oh, it's not okay to have these creative feelings to want to express myself through poetry to, um, to be dreaming. It's kind mm-hmm. of, you know, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, so I can definitely just kind of get into this little zone in my head and keep my peace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand um, that my husband's a nine as well. So okay. I fully yeah. understand. <laughs> so, so Carly, um, my daughter-in-law who you referred to, who mm-hmm. led your group some, some years ago, because Carly was also a lit major writing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in college and 
and we, we shared even some professors because she she went to where I went to college and so we, we have this a little connection over writing at different mm. times and she's given me um, a book called how the light gets in um, by Pat Schneider and she and it was talking about writing and writing as a spiritual practice and writing as a healing thing and writing as a way um, to tap into you know all these all these things that I knew intuitively but I hadn't really ever heard other people talking about it and so through that book, I started uh, exploring the website that, that uh, she was associated with, was just called the, the Amherst Writers and Artists Organization. And I kept seeing that they would have these trainings, you know, and they were hmm. a week long. And, and it, for me, it seemed like a lot of money. It was a couple thousand dollars plus. Um, and that's not the kind of thing that I would ever just choose. I, oh, I'm going to spend that kind of money on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I so badly wanted to go and do this training. And and I honestly didn't really know what I was going to do with it. Why would I do this training? Like, how was I going to use it? But eventually, um, probably 18 months or two years after I had been exploring the site and what they do and what these trainings were, I finally was going to be in the States at the right time. And it was all, it was all winding mm-hmm. up. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to do this, even though I don't really mm-hmm. understand why. I just know it in my gut. And it was one of those first, first times to sort of step out and spend, invest in myself. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's put it that way. Not knowing why, except that it felt that I should. You couldn't well, justify it. You couldn't no, give couldn't. it a reason. Like this right. is going to help me sell something. It's right. going to help me do this. Yeah, yeah. It just, and anyway, I, I am. Um, and the, the woman who was going to be our trainer, it was a small group. It was supposed to be like eight of us women. And we would be together for the week at, at a, um, a monastery in Malibu, California. And the woman who was supposed to lead our group, um, got really sick and had to do it. We got an email just a couple of days before the, the week began and said, I'm not going to be able to be there, but I'm sending Mary, my wonderful sub who you will love. And I remember just thinking like, Oh no, I'm, we're getting the oh B God. team. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Who's the sub? I don't know who this is, uh-huh. but um, well, it turns out that Mary, she had a connection in Africa and and so I wrote with her all week and, and learned these, this method of how to lead a group and how to create mm. these safe spaces and, and, and be uh, writing affirmative and, you know, just all the things that, that you experienced in my, mm-hmm. in my living room. But, um, but it, it was literally like the last 15 minutes that we were sitting outside waiting for our shuttles to take us to different um, flights and stuff. And Mary was like, well, no, how far are you from? And anyway, she, she started figuring out that, that I could probably go to some of the things that she'd been asked to go and lead in, in Malawi and in Kenya. And she had, she'd been going back and forth to, to Malawi many times and leading writing groups. All to say that if I'd had the instructor that was Mm. set to, you know, that I thought I was going to have, she had zero connection to Africa and, and Mary basically opened this door and, and invited me to go and start leading these groups with these, um, these 
junior high through high school age girls in Malawi two summers in a row. And then I also uh, did, did similar things up in Kenya. And that, I can't tell you how alive that made me feel to take the thing that I love and that has been so meaningful for me in finding my voice and speaking my truth and, and passing that on. And then it's a heavily patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. And so for these, for these young women to be encouraged as writers, but not just that they write correctly, but it's their voice that you're encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, that has been so life-giving to me because uh, in, in all the community development projects where you're trying to come alongside in appropriate ways and do what you know what is the felt need here and how can we help that happen and um, I was behind that I liked it but it wasn't really it wasn't me in my stride so for me to actually find that oh I can use writing to help women in Africa like it just it just felt like all the dots connected the circle was complete and I just was home One of the most powerful days for me was with a group of, of, of young girls in uh, a really impoverished, struggling area of, of Kenya, outside the capital. Um, and, and they were a group that were specifically uh, together uh, because they were being protected from trafficking. They, had, they were at high risk for being trafficked. And, um, and they had never done any kind of a writing group and I spent the day with them and I like everything that I had learned the ways to you know kind of stimulate and give it give a little prompt and mm -hmm. nothing was working they were just repeating after me anything I said it, mm -hmm. it, just, it and I so at, at the lunch break I just pulled away and I was I was thinking okay how do I tap into something creative here how do how do I help them release something inside of them their own thoughts their own imaginations and I thought I I have to just step back farther from it prompt even um, and just stop the writing and one of the, one one of the things I do sometimes for prompts is I just have magazine pictures that I've cut out and I'll I'll spread them all out they're they're not alike in any way and let people choose one and write whatever they want mm. about it mm. I just had them take the picture and then just speak to me make up a story about what you're seeing and all of a sudden they started flowing with imagination mm. and and you know this was by you know now we're getting towards the end of the day and finally it feels like that 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 pump has been primed a little bit and oh this this sweet water is coming out mm. and Closed after that with uh, just a really simple uh, prompt for a poem. Like I had created basically a template for a poem. And they all wrote these lovely, sweet, individual, their own voice poem. And I just looked around the group after everyone had read, uh, read their poem out loud. And I said, my gosh, 
ladies, there's 10 new poets right here. And just to see this, this light on faces, to know that they created that. It wasn't yeah. something that they learned. If they didn't have to, it wasn't information that they were digesting for school, which is all important and all, you know, anything like that. They weren't repeating back to them what was, you know, being, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need to memorize this. You need to be able to replicate this. You, it was, this is just coming out of you. It's your voice. And it, and, and something just like, their eyes just mm. changed. And for me, that is the most magical feeling. Uh, I think I mentioned to you before that it feels like I, I, I don't know what it's like to be a midwife, but in my, in my mm. mind, it's like, oh, I'm getting to help something get born. Like, mm. not my baby, it's their baby. All I'm doing is just yeah, speaking some words beside and, and saying, yeah, it's time to push. Or, I, you know, I don't right. know. No, I get it. I yeah. hear you. Yeah. And so the, the, the amazing feeling of, of, um, you know, getting to be a part somehow of releasing these authentic individual, this is your voice. It's not my voice. It's not your teacher's voice. It's, mm -hmm. it's this is you. Yeah. Um, and seeing how that gives a person you know, just sit up a little straighter and a little more light in their eyes and a little more sense of, Oh my gosh, I have value. I have worth. I have voice. Uh, that that is just priceless to me. And that, so that's that's a place of me after all these years of, um, like I said, fully my choice. And I delighted in raising mm -hmm. my children and and basically being in a support role to all that that we've done overseas in, mm -hmm. in our years. Um, but coming into my own, like, oh, this is my contribution. Mm. And this is this is I'm coming alive in myself as I watch these women come alive in the, in themselves. Mm. And, and then alongside of that, I've had the, the privilege of also writing with um, international women who, you know, groups who uh, I had one group that met several times who we ranged in age from about 24 to 75. And, and most of those women had been in, in, uh, Africa for a good number of years, five, probably the shortest and some 40 years and had been in really extreme situations of like work, working in refugee camps or um, in, in a really extreme medical circumstances. And one of, one of my dearest friends is a midwife who's training midwives and, um, but have seen so much and, and they hold so much in their bodies of, of mm -hmm. what they've seen yeah. And so these stories coming out from these simple prompts, doing the same thing where I see, I see this, um, a, a relief and a, just this, this depth of who they are and this beauty in them also being able to, you know, they're not trying to show off for anybody like I've done this or I've done that. It's just that their bodies have held these stories and some of them have, yeah have been in really extreme hardship areas. Like, like I said, like um, in, in really extreme refugee camp situations where you're just receiving stories of trauma over and over all day as you're trying yeah. to care for people and, and so much is held inside of them and they're just, it's just coming out. So 
yeah, there's a whole broad range of how writing, how I see it bringing women to life in that circumstance of where, where I happen to be, which happens to be in Africa. I'm like, I'm giddy inside right now <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm so resonating with um, the experience that you're describing. Mm-hmm. It's just um, very life-giving and, and what I, I can visually see you and what I'm seeing in you as you tell this is uh, just pure joy. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm actually a little curious um, <laughs> what brings or could you answer this? What brings more life to you to write for yourself or to create these spaces like you described and have that come out? You know, I, that is really, I've never thought about comparing those two things. That's why I said, I'm not sure if you can answer it. It would be, but the way that you light up, it's just, mm -hmm. it's like, it's a, it's an overflow of who you are to do this for people. Well, I, I, I would say that two things, if I think about, so I'm not one of the, I have taken a lot of those different personality tests for different mm-hmm. organizations that we work for. I'm not the person that ever remembers what I was <laughs> or <laughs> like refers to, refers right. back to it very often. But what I, I do remember from Strength Finder, the developer was, was high. So, so the idea of people, me getting to be involved in people's personal growth, somehow watching people become Mm-hmm. I, I think of it as like deepening or like, you know, on, when you're adjusting pictures on your, on your iPhone and you do like, um, saturation, right. right. I right. feel like I watch people like, Oh, I'm just watching the saturation dial go uh, up. Like Jess is becoming more herself. Whoa. Yeah. So you're not any different, but you're coming and And that is so beautiful to mm. me and life, life giving to me. And then also as a nine on the Enneagram and a not so great thing is that I merge I merge with mm. the people around me. And so maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of that too, where, oh, it's easy for me to merge into, you know, finding joy and watching their mm-hmm. themselves grow. Um, I think there's a, there's definitely a more immediate um, benefit or uh, joy because you, it's, it's just, it just happens before me. I've never yeah. led a group that didn't feel like something magical happened in our midst. Mm. It's never been just, oh, that just bombed. You know, it's just, there's something yeah. about just, and, and I, I, I think any, I think I, anybody can learn to do it, but I do think that there is something about there, there's something in my gifting that nurtures that space that, that seems to, it just seems to work like the, the, the method matches with my gifts and who mm-hmm. I am. So somehow it feels like it's a, it's, yeah. I, I think you have a gift to call the soul out, mm-hmm. to draw that out of someone. I mean, just what you described about these girls that couldn't just take a prompt and go with it. They'd never had someone draw that out of them, or maybe even give them permission to say, you you can feel something other than the exact reality. Like yeah. you can imagine something you can, yeah. you know, everybody comes with a different story. We don't know what they brought to the table necessarily, mm-hmm. but, um, but that's a, I, I know that's what you did for me in your living room is you called to a depth of myself that uh, was a great way to end my trip, but 
here's a little backstory so you understand. Yeah. Before I went to Africa, I quit a job that I worked for someone who was um, uh, very, he was a gaslighter. And um, one of the things that I had experienced over the years was wanting, I created I created community amongst, amongst running stores. So I was creating this space for people to learn how to be a runner for the first time or to mm-hmm. uh, meet some running goals they've never done before, that sort of thing. And, uh, and it was interesting because when Carly came out to visit, um, one of the things she said, I, I made a comment to her, well, I'm not a real coach, like like you are, or, you know, some of the other people at my work. Mm -hmm. And I, I coach those who are learning to run. And then I hand them off when they want bigger goals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they get to go on to somebody who knows more than me. Right. And, um, and she kind of, you know, she told me I didn't need to say that, but, um, but it was in that moment with her that I realized I was passionate about creating community that, um, that this wasn't just about running, although it was something that I loved. It was really about engaging people, um, not just one-on-one, but on that community level. And um, so part of that was me wanting to uh, share people's stories through blogs, through the stores, mm-hmm. website, you know, things like that, and start getting people excited about, hey, I know that person. And I, you know, I didn't know that about their story and how they came to running. You know, I wanted to activate something um, yeah beyond the race. Yeah. And, um, and this was an area where I was continually, uh, told that, uh, well, somebody else needs to write that for you. You're not the writer. And it was a really hard thing for me because that was an identity I carried all the way up until I got married. Like it was, it was writing contests. It was like, like you had described with teachers and, um, really a lot of my, uh, understanding of myself came through writing. Yeah. And so to experience that and just really come to a place where I thought I believed it. Um, So then we go to Africa and you sit us down in your living room and you say, (laughs) I want you to write. I, it was at first, it was like, whoa, this is, this is not something that I'm good at. I'm the oldest one in this group. You know, I was (laughs) the Mm -hmm. slowest one out there. You know, I had all of these things that came with me in that moment And, but what you did was you drew out my soul. Hmm. You drew out um, an old passion, but you also helped me to understand something about myself, about Africa, about women, um, so much more than I ever expected in that moment. And it allowed me to reclaim at whatever level, you can Mm -hmm. correct my grammar all you want, but at whatever level I could call myself a writer in that moment. And it was an identity I got to claim back. Right. Yes. Yes. And, um, and it's, I think that one of the things that came to mind when you were sharing how you, uh, worked with these girls is I like, you gave them a no fail situation. There was no wrong. There was no wrong answer. Yes. They couldn't write a wrong poem. They couldn't describe a wrong, uh, story after the picture. Mm Like there was no fail in it for them. So all they got to experience was something they didn't know they had and become aware of it. And I just think that's, oh, just. Yeah, that's such a great way of saying that. I've never, I've never thought to express it that way. 
but it's so the opposite of most educational mm-hmm. situations. So, so the opposite of most classroom situations. And I may have referenced this that night, but um, you know, I can look back and see how there was little pieces. I was already believing this way, but the the training with with AWA Amherst Writers mm-hmm. and Artists brought it all together for me. But I had years ago read a book. I'm going to blank on the guy's name, but it's called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And it's it's such a silly name, but um, it's a great name. He, he was a, a professional artist for like Hallmark, I want to say. Mm. And so it was very, it was very corporate art. And, mm. and he's talking about like keeping your, your creative soul alive, even though you're in the corporate mm. world. But one of the examples that he talks about is that he would go into schools and do these like art um, projects and programs or a day with kids. And, and that when you go into a kindergarten and you say, who's an artist? Everybody puts their hand up and, and mm-hmm. grade by grade, it's fewer and fewer Ugh. until it's been completely snuffed out of them because there's been so much correction and so much red, red marks and this sunset doesn't look right, or this tree is bad, or your writing stinks or not. No, nobody's gonna say your writing stinks, but you know, it's just all the red right. correction that by the time you're in middle school and sixth grade and junior high, nobody, you know, very, very few kids are raising their hand and saying, I'm an artist. And he was just saying that, that basically all our creativity is snuffed out through correction. And so AWA basically functions on this no fail concept, Mm. like you're saying that, um, and one of the premises, one of the basic premises we call them the affirmations. The last affirmation of the five affirmations is a writer is someone who writes. Who writes. A runner <laughs> is someone who runs. I used to exactly. tell my I used to tell yeah. my writers that all the time. I still get that. Oh yeah, yeah. Cause it's not a writer is not somebody who's published or somebody who has a Pulitzer or some yeah. you know, nothing like that. It's just mm-hmm. you type away or you pick up the pen. A writer is someone who writes. Who writes. And I, I struggled for years thinking that I couldn't carry that title because I'm not doing it full time. Uh, nobody knows that I'm a writer. I'm not making my living off of it, whatever it is. And it's like, no, I get to stand up right here and say, a writer is someone who writes. I am a writer. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> More good to the soul. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So what what is it that you do now? You're, you're back in the States. Are you doing anything to create these spaces in this weird COVID transition? I don't know where I should live space. Yeah, it is. It's such a, it's such a weird time. I, I want to say I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm not going to say I'm embarrassed. I'm just going to say, this is the truth. This is the reality of where I am. I have, I thought that all this kind of like downtime that this COVID imposed slowdown on mm-hmm. was going to mean, Oh, all this creativity is going to come right. pouring out. And I'm just going to do all this writing that I've been thinking that I would do. And I'm going to, um, you know, I've had several people ask me to, to, to lead online groups and, and I thought, Oh yeah, I'm just going to jump in and start pursuing that. And I've actually found um, that so much of my, I think so much of my actual energy has gone to just being okay with how messed up the world is. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I getting agree. through each day. And, you know, I have a daughter who just graduated college and is mm-hmm. looking at what happened to the life, you know, what, ha- this is, this is the, yeah, 
yeah, you know, just everything that people are going through. I have a, a new grandbaby due any minute who you're thinking, what are you being born into? Um, mm-hmm. I have my elderly parents who have to be so careful instead of enjoying these, <laughs> these years, these, yeah. these years, you know, they're, because any little thing could be, yeah, it could be super dangerous for them at their age with COVID. Um, so I am being kind to myself and being okay with the fact that this hasn't been a super productive, creative time. I do think that we are, you know, because it's going on and on, mm-hmm. nothing is, nothing is constant. And I do feel like I'm, there feels like, not that there's a light coming at the end of the tunnel in that things are getting better necessarily, but there's a light in that I'm having a little bit more of an understanding of, well, these are the ways that you can mitigate. These yeah. are the ways that I can, and, um, try to be safe and not be, not be fearful. And, um, yeah, so I, I feel, I do feel like there's kind of like something good coming, but yeah, uh, no, I don't. Feel I, like I really, I really connect with you on that because I had eight, eight weeks off of work. Okay. Um, and I just went eight weeks. Oh my goodness. All my projects, all my things yeah. I want to do yeah. all that list that's been like hanging over me all this time. And, and I, and I was amazed at how much I stayed busy doing things in a sense around the house, but yet I went back to work going, what did I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't really know what I accomplished. And I think that there was just kind of this uh, low level anxiety energy yes. that just kind of ex- exists in that. And yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of amazing creativity come out of this time. Innovative thinking, people are mm-hmm. uh, uh, creating some some beautiful things um, because of this p- new pressure we're under. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily true for everyone. I think f- for someone like me, I find that the anxiety is sort of a a, a distraction, a noise, a clutter mm-hmm. that um, makes it difficult for me to. Uh, to kind of explore those things. I had such high expectations of exploring yeah. during that time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I connect with that. Um, something else I wanted to ask you about, um, Carly has this uh, phrase that she says to me often um, that is one that I personally just have had to work through and struggle with after uh, adjusting to a new body, a new uh Uh, physical limitations with my surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, this is my body. This is my home. And this idea of my body being home has had Mm -hmm. moments of great excitement to me that uh, much like I felt after our writing prompt of, wow, I'm so proud to be woman. I am so proud that all these characteristics and um, even polar opposites exist within me. Um, And then other times, I feel quite foreign or I can't, I don't feel like I have a resting place with myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes for me, writing becomes that resting space where Mm -hmm. I can, I can put it out there and I can go, okay, I'm, I'm going to resolve that, that thing I'm struggling with, or I'm, I I get to put words to something I couldn't before. Yeah. Um, How, how does that idea of home for you being somebody, and I relate, we've moved 27 times in 25 years. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but having a bit of a mo- nomadic life, um, connecting with lots of different communities of people, 
um, mm-hmm. genuinely and deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, having, I relate to you with you on the choice to raise my children, um, be able to stay at home with them and, yeah. and do that thing. It was something that I was very excited about doing. Um, but as I, as I age through life, my roles seem to shift and morph and change and all of that. And the idea of home in myself feels complicated. Yeah. Um, is that something you connect with or that you have any experience with either? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think, you know, I think we could spend a whole episode talking about just how wonderful Carly is. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Carly's, her work on embodiment and the way that she has um, woven that into all, all of what she's doing through the Public Run Club um, and women being at home in their bodies has helped me put, put words to and think about um, not, not, really not knowing how disconnected I was from my Mm. body growing up. Um, Living in, in a body shamed, not, not Mm. for weight things, but just like bodies are bad. Bodies are, you know, spells and they cause you to sin. Right. And and they do embarrassing things and, and we don't talk about them. And so I grew up in a home that was, I guess you would call that body negative. Like Mm. I, I was, I was in that home that I didn't, I, I didn't feel comfortable telling my mom that I had started to menstruate. Ah, and, me either. Know, <laughs> I, I was like, what is that? I, I don't know. Like, Gosh, you're, you're right. We could talk for hours. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a, it's a body function. Yeah. Um, and so, so I'm, so if I'm, I'm not, I'm separated or my body's bad. And then I've also like separated from my voice because my, my creativity is somehow, Right. That's not admirable. That's not stable. That's not, uh, you know, that's not good. That's dreamy, somehow self-centered or something. So then, then where am I home? Mm. And so coming back to, I, I honestly believe that um, the, the beginning of my embodiment and appreciation of my body, and I know that this not everybody's going to be able to have this experience or it might be mm-hmm. what, not be what is the thing for them, but was giving birth. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> having, having that experience of being so powerful. And, and I, of course, mm-hmm. I know that people have extremely different birth stories. Right. And I was, I was off the charts fortunate in that I had, very straightforward, relatively easy deliveries, and I didn't have to have medication. And so I felt in, I felt powerfully engaged in the process and powerfully amazed at myself when I was done, you know, and I'd never been impressed with my body before because I wasn't athletic growing up. I mean, my husband told me as, as we started to date and get to know each other, he said, you're so athletic. I can't believe that you never played sports, but somehow just in all those moves, it mm. wasn't something that, that it was ever uh, yeah. nourished in me or nurtured or encouraged. So I didn't even know that I was capable or coordinated mm-hmm. or any of those things. 
So, so the first time that I was ever really proud of my body, like my body did something was amazing was when I grew a baby and pushed it out, right? (laughs) You know, and it was amazing and I did it and, and, uh, and then to do that four times. So that was, that was the beginning of my journey of of really coming home to my body Mm. and then slowly through the years also coming home to my voice and realizing that my voice is not just powerful for me, but it's powerful because it's helping others mm-hmm. in these ways of, of helping them find their voice. So, mm. yeah. I, I, I really connect to that. And you, you kind of hinted on something um, that was a huge deal for me. And, and I, I would say, I, I know we have a few years between us, but not that many. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but we, uh, the time in which we were growing up and becoming adults, raising our kids, this idea of embodiment was not a conversation that we were having. Um, So when I started to hear this and started to think about myself as a whole experience rather than spiritual over here and my body's over here and my mental health is up here and, you know, like all of these fragments of myself, um, the, the thought that about as close as I could get to it was that uh, the first hearings of yoga was that it was bad, <laughs> was that it was this uh, negative spiritual experience um, mm-hmm. with your body. Mm-hmm. And um, and then as I, I grew up in the purity culture, so it was uh, your body's bad, sex is mm-hmm. bad. And then to, tonight, suddenly your body is not bad and sex oh, is not bad. You know, exactly. it's just and like, turn it on, baby, switch. turn it on. Um, yeah. And really trying to, you know, wrap your mind, body, soul around all of that. And um, I, I, I really admire people that haven't got hung up on those things as I felt like I did through, through my life. Um, so this idea of, of my body being a place of rest, a place of home, a place of self-care, a place of strength. Um, I, it's, uh, it's been a challenge to go there. Mm-hmm. One of, uh, I, I didn't experience childbirth in that epiphany moment for myself, but I did when my daughter had her baby this oh, last fall. Amazing. And it was this awareness of, oh my goodness, not only is the woman uh, an amazing creature to be able to yes. do this, But the women that I saw come around her at the hospital to teach her how to nurse, to uh, tell their story and how they got through this moment and encourage her through her contractions, you know, all of that, I just went, we are these amazing creations that uh, I feel like I'm just starting to grasp. I'm just starting to, uh, to really understand, which I think gives us this limitless experience of what we can be. And I'm 46 years late doing it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, and yeah, um, too late. no, um, what, uh, how do you feel like you connect now when you hear body as a home? What does that feel like to you now? You know, it's so comforting. It's so comforting. It's because especially, um, because I have lived in so many different places and I have this love, I, I have a sense of being belonging and, and not belonging quite in, in all of those places. Even, even as a U.S. passport born, born U.S. citizen, um, 
as much as I feel at home here, I also don't feel at home here because I've yeah. been gone for so long and I, there's so much of the culture that feels very strange and different to me. And, um, and I don't understand a lot of the thinking, but then in each of the places, <laughs> I, I've been here the whole time and I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. I, oh boy. Yeah. I, I feel all these tangents. Spinning it right? my, but, um, but I think, I think to know that I can just not pull in, in a protective porcupine way, but just kind of like draw myself into this home of my body, this flesh, this, and know that I'm safe here mm-hmm. and I do belong here. And a few years ago there, um, I was asked to, to write uh, a book review for a, a, a literary magazine. And I, it was a, on, it was two books that had to do with embodiment. And it was before I even really knew the, the term. Um, and I found myself so in, so comforted by the idea of listening to your body. So, mm. because I, you know, just instead of thinking like, oh, I have this pain in my back or a pain in my shoulders, how do I medicate it away? But thinking like, what is that about? What is my body mm-hmm. telling me? Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I thought about like, like stop and listen and let your body speak to you. Like, well, that's because you're worried and you're holding it all there. And, um, and sometimes it's more complicated than that, but but yeah, I think just it's it's so comforting to think that no matter where I am, I can just say, "This is me. This is my body, and this body has a voice." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and sometimes it's just for me. Just that voice is just for me. Yeah. Sometimes it's just for my husband. I have three sons and then five years later a baby girl who is now not a baby she's 21 (laughs) from college Um, but these highly unusual times and wanting to be a part of raising a strong woman um, with all the hurdles before her in that and uh, so a lot of my my voice has been I think used I hope I hope Helpfully, in uh, is that word? Helpfully, yeah. Um, <laughs> in uh, in helping her be at home in her body as well. Mm-hmm. So, a little tidbit about you. Um, I learned today for the first time was that you've written a book have. Okay. So tell me about that. (laughs) Oh, so, um, yeah, I was, I, I was actually invited by a publisher who I didn't know was a publisher. I had had a long conversation with her one night at an event. And the next day she started a conversation with me, like, would you, would you ever want to write about some of those thoughts about, um, connecting with God, um, through these different angles that you were talking about? So my book is called approaching God. And it's already, I can never remember when it came out. I feel like maybe it was published in 2010. And it, and it was, um, you know, not like it was a big, great seller or anything, but it sold around the world and 
And I was, I, and even now I get little notes from hmm. strangers sometimes that say, I, I found your book and, and, um, or, or somebody will see it someplace and send me a photo and said, Oh, I found this in the prayer room at a hospital in Australia or, hmm. um, and anyway, the, the premise of the book is, uh, five different chapters. Is it six? I can never remember. Anyway, I'm looking at developing an intimate relationship with higher power with divine with mm-hmm. you know for me i just say god um through thinking about god as friend now if i if i think of god as friend how does that uh, how does that impact my relationship and then and then the second essay is god as father what does that do for me in my relationship how would i approach what does that teach me um the third chapter is god as mother and uh and that really tapped into that feeling that we are unique, you know, that we have a, like you were saying that women are, uh, and if we cut, we are so amazing. And that doesn't mean that we're more amazing Mm-mm. than guys, but, um, I mean, we do birth babies, but we do hey. birth babies and, <laughs> and, you know, I just cannot, you know, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that you can ever do that will make you, <laughs> right. you measure it up that, but anyway, um, yeah, so just thinking about how when we don't have an ability to to envision god as mother or experience god as mother we miss out on 50 percent, 50 percent of what we could experience in our experience yeah. with god and then um god is artist god is healer god is guide and yeah so it's just, a, it's just a, a quite a small little book i wasn't i wasn't in love with the way the publishers um did it you know that I had different visions for how it would look but that's you know whatever I am so thankful it happened right it gave gave me the feeling that like oh I did that I and I could do that again I could Mm. I could tap into the things that I would love to say and um yeah anyway that's that's Mm. that approaching God and my maiden name is Repco, so it's it's approaching God, Lisa Repco Borden. Okay. There's a Lisa hey. Borden on Twitter who is not me, <laughs> <laughs> but she's also a writer, and she has, um, I followed her for a long time. It's always funny to see my name, so that's yeah. why I started putting my middle name, I mean, my uh, maiden name in there as gotcha. well. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and is your book still available, or is it? It is. It is. It's on Amazon still. It's it's out of print, so there's just a few left, but um there yeah plus I have a few I can I I could send you one oh it it sounds like a um I am in that space of wanting a uh fresh uh way to interact in that relationship with divine Mm -hmm. and um I think I think many of us are so um uh that it just sounds very uh intriguing to me on that level too um, I know you and I could just go on talking. I, like you said, I just have a million tangents that have just like sparked as we as we have talked, and yeah. so we may just have to do this again. Um, yeah. And I would I would love to, you know, at some point brainstorm some ideas of maybe some things we can offer the community together. And um, but I am I'm so grateful to have you share your story with me. I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for you sharing your home. I am grateful for you creating space for my soul to come out. Um, and uh, I, I have told my husband that we will be visiting you guys in Tanzania. Yes, absolutely. 
exactly. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I feel like it was, uh, quite an experience, um, for me to, um, to spend some time in your home and to meet you and your husband and, and share stories. And so, um, so thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your story here. I know there's so much more to it. (laughs) I know there's layers and layers and layers of stories. And, um, so we might have to just find another story to share. So, yeah. Well, thank you for pursuing me. I feel so, um, honored by your interest and, uh, being, uh, yeah pursued thank you thank you well um i will put in our show notes um the uh title of your book so maybe we'll just scoop up the last of those copies (laughs) um and any other you know contact that you would like to have in there if people wanted to reach out to you about writing um uh, i will put those in there i know you mentioned um a couple of books and resources um i'll I'll uh, catch up with you on those and get those in the yeah. um, show notes as well. Okay. So, but, but thank you, Lisa. Sounds good. Oh, you're so welcome. Have a good evening. And hopefully I'll be able to give you news of grandbaby soon. Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening. And may you keep connecting all the beautiful parts of you.